On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, it's trade deadline week, and the Pacers have already been very active, and they needed to be. Why both deals make sense, and what else they may be up to. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, this is trade deadline week, which means our lives, or at least mine, and those in the NBA are dictated by deals that others are doing. You never know when they might come and go, and there's frequent talks, but will it actually lead to something? Well, so far, yeah, uh, many of the talks have, and it started on Sunday afternoon when the Pacers were in Cleveland getting set to play the Cavaliers, and in the afternoon while the team was making their way over to the arena. The Pacers reaching agreement with the Cavaliers on a deal central on moving Karis Levert. In turn, the Pacers getting the expiring contract to Ricky Rubio and a Cavs first pick this year, which will probably be early 20s, as well as the Houston Rockets second round pick, which, because they're really bad, it'll probably be pick 32-33. And because of that, that carries a lot of value. Um, Not a guaranteed contract with second-round picks, but it's high enough to get a guy that just fell out of the first round and get him on a good value. Or, like we saw this past summer, is the Pacers able to add in Aaron Holiday and an early second-round pick and move up to go after Isaiah Jackson and draft him at the 22nd overall pick so for that and many reasons it made sense Karis Levert was going to get moved that's what all indications had suggested to me over the last several months and mostly just because it was not a good fit with him and Rick Carlisle Um, just in terms of their playing style Rick Carlisle wants shooters he wants guys that move it He, he wants good passing offense and things like that well a lot of times the ball gets stuck or a lot of times Karis tries to create for himself or a lot of times disinterested defensively going through the motions is what it seemed like. There were some disagreements. Now I'm told it got better, the relationship here, I don't know, recently over the last month or so, but it just wasn't a fit, and so it was clear that Karis LeVert would be the first player moved if the Pacers did indeed make a trade, and they did, and I'm glad they did. And it's just a start as it should be because I haven't used this analogy on this show, but I've said it on a lot of different radio shows that I've been on. Imagine some pizza, right? I'm a big pizza guy. I probably have it two or three times a week. That next day when you're reheating it, almost as good as the first time. Not quite. Maybe you got that like pizza oven, toaster oven that you can throw it into. Then it really tastes almost like the first time. Second time, eh, but it's food. You already have it. You don't have to work for it. Just throw it in the microwave. Well, it felt like to me that this Pacers roster here was like day five old pizza. You don't really want it, probably should throw it out, but you keep going back to it, but you shouldn't. And that's the state of this Pacers team. They kept going back to that five-day-old pizza, hoping it would taste more like second-day pizza, right? And how many times have we seen this Miles Turner, Domus Sabonis pairing? Or TJ Warren, fingers crossed that he'll be back. Or Malcolm Brogdon, what's his status? Yeah, I'm tired of tracking that. And he's probably got even be even more exhausted of being quote unquote day to day because that's truly what he is. He said uh, with this injury, and I'll get into him a little bit more. But they were due uh, not just 
just about everybody was over, I think, in general, this roster. And it wasn't fun anymore. And it wasn't just the winning. It was There was the lack of hope. There was some apathy that sunk in. Very similar, I think, in many ways to what it was like last year to Indiana basketball down in Bloomington. They changed the coach. They corrected the roster. A lot of exciting things going on down there. Absolutely. And so you needed that turn of events here with the Pacers. I've never believed in a big-time shakeup where you factor in a tanking or anything. And I don't think the Pacers really wanted that. Um, you, You saw with this roster, it was headed to nowhere. And now looking back now with hindsight, Nate Bjorkren wasn't the only big problem last year. There was a number of things. He was a big key why things didn't work out. But again, it was a flawed roster. It was an injured roster, a group that very rarely could even play together. And so the notable thing here, for instance, is that Karis Levert never played with the true starting lineup that the front office envisioned with Malcolm Brogdon, with him, with T.J. Warren at the three, with Sabonis, and with Turner, because T.J. Warren hasn't even played a game since December 29th of 2020. Remember his bubble all-stars, right? That's where he was fantastic. He only played four games after that. Now he's doing more, but and he's in a final year of his contract, but that's been frustrating. So this whole thing has been frustrating to the Pacers. More than 200 games lost due to injury. Frequently, so many guys being out, and it even extends to Karras, who, what a wild last 14 months he has had. You know, being traded suddenly from Brooklyn to Indy. Now he had an indication or inkling that he probably would be moved, but he found out when he woke up on a game day from his pregame nap from hundreds of text messages. Then he comes here, and right away, thankfully, the Pacers discover that he has a cancerous mass on his left kidney. So before he can even practice with the team, he's headed for surgery in a matter of days, and a surgery that usually is successful, but no surgery do I even take lightly, right? When they say individuals having minor surgery, I don't believe there's any such thing. But to this point, he went in for surgery. Then he felt, in his words, rushed back by Nate Bjorkren, didn't really get some full practice in, uh, and returned in Phoenix and helped them out. But he couldn't really even settle in all of last season, going on with a new head coach. Then suddenly had his end of season removed from him because or taken away from him because he entered the health and safety protocols before the play-in games the day of. So he didn't get a play in those. Then in the offseason, deals with a stress fracture in his back vertebrae issues so he misses all of training camp with a whole new coaching staff he misses all of the preseason some of his teammates still haven't rejoined it is in a word been chaotic I think for Karis LeVert and now he moves on to a new situation is what fourth different head coach in three seasons I believe as he moves on with J.B. Bickerstaff and joins the Cleveland Cavaliers staying in Cleveland that was convenient And I like to find the humor in things, but I thought it was notable that Pacers agreeing to this deal when he's minutes and on his way, really, to the Pacers locker room at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Then a couple days later in a deal they agree to, in a deal that moves off of one of the bigs, before they played Nate McMillan's Atlanta Hawks, and McMillan had worked with both Turner and Sabonis and had to play both of them. I just felt that was, I don't know, ironic or humorous. With the whole thing. But 
I will also say for Karras, in all seriousness here, if anything, he's got to be incredibly thankful and grateful for his time in Indy. Because if not, if the team doesn't do a CT scan on his back, if the team doctors don't look over that scan closely, not to get too deep, but like, when does he discover he has cancer? He told us he had no symptoms. Played the first like 15 games of the season with the Nets without any pain, nothing. Had no no indication of this. Would it have been till the next season? Would it have been maybe till he was traded again? Would it have been till he had symptoms when I don't know, purely speculating, two, three years down the road? And then who knows for a healthy like 25 year old? That's incredibly scary. So shout out to Dr. Jason Sprunger for, I, I don't think this is wrong, putting it lightly though. He saved Karis Levert's life and now he's healthy and. And able to play in terms of that, and he did have that kidney removed. I'm not sure how many people know that, or it's been out there, but he also had that kidney removed. So then he returns to less than two months later. That, on top of being in a new situation with nobody you're familiar with, is a lot. By the way, the pandemic's going on, and last year you couldn't even go out to dinner. You know, if Laval Jordan, his assistant coach at Michigan, wanted to come meet with him because he's a Butler head coach now and wanted to have dinner with him. That technically was against league rules. So that was difficult. Um, Well, anyway, then the Pacers moved on and went to Atlanta for their next game, part of this two-game road trip on Monday, had shoot-around Tuesday, and shortly after that, the team was back at their hotel in Atlanta, and a deal was finalized. And it was a shocker from the fact that two key players were involved. I think... Many of us were expecting one of the bigs to be moved. I thought more likely than not that would be Miles Turner for obvious reasons. I've been saying for a while I think both he and the Pacers would benefit from a fresh start to wipe their hands clean, thank each other, move on, and get a fresh perspective on things. Well, (laughs) Miles' sore foot, the stress reaction in the foot, threw a wrench into the plans, and that decreases his value and teams become a little bit skeptical and concerned and you're talking at a big man here who obviously coming into the league rightly or wrongly many were concerned about his running style and that's related to your feet and your legs and man that's tough and so ultimately Pacers having numerous conversations I actually was following closely the CJ McCollum deal in Portland thinking that was the deal Pacers initially trying to get in to be part of in some fashion Obviously, McCollum getting moved there to New Orleans earlier in the day. Well, out of nowhere, it's Sabonis on the move, and they're getting a guy that's a budding star. You know what this reminds you of? Yep, several years ago. Pacers trade Paul George and send him to Oklahoma City and in turn get Victor Oladipo and get Demonis Sabonis. Two guys that very young, hadn't really emerged. Victor, a role player still, and... With Sabonis, just trying to figure it out. You know, he played with Westbrook, that is, during his MVP season. So you're just trying to stay out of the way. And he was misused there. He was Billy Donovan. And them tried to that year playing along Stephen Adams. Tried to use him more of as a three point threat. We know and Sabonis not a great three point shooter. He's been working on it the last couple of years, but that's not really his thing. Nonetheless, uh, everybody just stunned, surprised, elated. Pacers beyond thrilled about landing Tyrese Halliburton, a central piece to reshaping this roster now. You notice the common traits that they're getting, right? They're getting shooting. They're getting athleticism. 
They're getting younger with everything. That's what they're doing. They're addressing those needs. More playmaking, by the way. All things that have been absent in what Rick Carlisle is trying to do. He sat there, coached them for 55 games this season, and all the issues are very apparent for him. We've seen him, obviously. You and I, we've been following this team for quite a while. So those issues are apparent. But when you're in Dallas, in another conference, you're not following Pacers' needs. And he truly did want to give it a try and see what this roster looked like. Hopefully everyone was healthy. And I think when you consider what we all had in terms of expectations for the season, think about it this way, too. is How would those things change knowing the health of the team to begin the year? If we knew T.J. Warren would not play a game and or if he would play a game, how much does that change your expectation? Same thing with Karis LeVert. If he misses the first month of the season, that is a huge deal. There's two starters right there. And then you can count on Malcolm Brogdon missing 20 games. You can count on Miles Turner missing, I think, about 15 games. Well, then you don't feel too good about that. On top of which, a whole new coaching staff. It takes a while to settle in and all of those different things. But, yeah, Tyrese Halliburton is why the Pacers did this deal. If it's De'Aaron Fox, not sending Sabonis in this deal. Probably Turner. But I'm not sure the interest level there. The fact that Halliburton was quietly made available, Pacers jumped on that. By the way, Sabonis is under contract for two more seasons, but then after that becomes an unrestricted free agent. And this is probably a podcast in itself, but... I mean, Domas hasn't been happy with a lot of different things that have he's had to deal with and play with. And he, he despised working with Nate Bjorkren. That was just a bad marriage um, and a bad relationship there. Domas was infuriated when Kevin Pritchard came out and said, hey, we're going to have to manufacture a star here. We don't have one. He's sitting there, hey, hey, Kevin, look at me. What the hell? I'm a two-time All-Star. And if we were winning here... I'd probably be a three-time All-Star, being an All-Star this year. And, of course, he's not um, on the outside looking in uh, of that. But there's a lot of different things. You see Miles outspoken. To everybody's credit on this roster, nobody has really complained or really truly voiced their frustrations. Now, I will say Miles has a little bit lately in terms of just fed up of losing, and we had that whole this ain't P situation, which I don't think I've talked about on that podcast. I've talked with Miles several times, by the way. This is another tangent, but I've talked with Miles several times about social media. A couple of years ago, he went off of it. I thought was smart. Did that for about a month, then came back on. And one of the things that goes against so many of these guys is their brand deals. That's why they are not off of it permanently, mostly. TJ uh, McConnell, for example, is except to post brand deals, maybe some wine or coffee, which I don't mind because I, I love both of those topics. But otherwise, so many guys are on there just for brand deals. It's um, a lot of money. I can't fault them. If people were lined up at your door to pay you to to influence and, and do that type of stuff, of course you're interested, I think. But, yeah, Miles has voiced that frustration um, here recently. But otherwise, I think, especially Sabonis, that's why I brought up this topic. I think he's handled it very well privately. Now, um, one last thing on the previous roster. It did not mesh well. It was poorly constructed. They didn't complement each other well. There was no enforcer, and I still believe that's something that the Pacers have to address in the offseason. They badly need a leader. 
and an, and an enforcer. That could be one guy. That could be two. But much like last season, Kevin Pritchard in the front office were compelled and felt like they had to go into the locker room after games, after bad losses, poor performances, embarrassing showings. Well, it's happened again this season. I've written about it on Fieldhouse Files a couple times, but there's been at least a couple games. Kevin Pritchard's been in there and having to address the guys. It happened, I think, most recently two-ish weeks ago. I don't know. It all runs together. A couple weeks ago, after Charlotte, would they allow 158 points most in franchise history? They were in there 30 minutes after the game before anyone came out. Kevin was part of that. They had a big old conversations about the future of the team, about guys' roles, a lot of different things, I'm told. If your front office is having to do that or thinks it has to do that, you're not in a good place. If, if, if they are doing that, that means there's no internal leadership. Um, I do like the accountability from that standpoint, but it shouldn't need to be go, the, go that far. It should be by the players, for the players in their space. All right, coming back from a couple wild ta- tangents, let's get back to Halliburton. And Pacers are loving the fact that they're able to get him. In his second year, he was a lottery pick last year, fell to the Kings. They made a great pick, and then they moved on from him. And I know many will say that's the Kings being the Kings. I get them, though, going and getting an established player. The key thing for them is they got to believe that they can re-up Sabonis after two more years. He will be an unrestricted free agent. I know he doesn't mind at all going out to California, uh, living that warm life. I think that fits kind of his vibe more. Um, He's a big-time basketball guy and junkie and such, but he also likes to live and be on the beach and – he has an off-season home in Los Angeles where he spent the last couple of years, and he's married and has big family plans and things like that. And so, at minimum, this gets him out to California and changes his lifestyle a little bit. Now, I think being the competitor that he is, he will not like it if they lose or if they don't have a chance at the postseason. thought it was interesting that these two teams hooked up here and both were in 13th place in their conference, although the West is not as bunched up. So, Kings just a couple games out of, you know, the play-in game, whereas Pacers aren't even close and shouldn't even be thinking or considering that. But with Halliburton, they're getting this franchise-caliber point guard, that point guard that they have desperately needed, a guy that can distribute the ball, get others involved, play in the pick-and-roll, be a threat from outside, be an incredible player in the mid-range. A lot to like about Halliburton's game, and he's just scratching the surface. But he's a Midwest guy. Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Iowa State. Again, I rehash that, but I think that's important. He has those Midwest ties and principles. And the other thing, calling around, learning more about him, because let's face it, I mean, how many of us are watching more than five Kings games? Maybe a couple, but been described to me as not only one of the most likable guys I'll meet, but a big, booming personality, uh, very uh, charismatic, I should say. Uh, All of his teammates speaking glowingly about him and torn. Um, crushed that they're trading him, and he was very surprised by the move. He was all in and committed to the Kings, and then the Kings shocked him and everybody else that they moved on from him. But now with the Pacers, this is encouraging what they've done in the last 72 hours with just two trades, and I don't think they're done yet, but not having to tear down this roster and just get draft picks after draft picks, that's not very fun, and I'll honestly... That's very trusting of your front office. That, And I don't count the last couple of years because I, 
I think you need two or three years to truly evaluate a draft class. Seemingly, this last draft class is special with Duarte and Jackson, but I, I don't even include this in here. Front office hasn't proven that they can be trusted with good picks. They haven't hit on some of the higher ones, which are difficult, admittedly. You know, the 2023, you're not going to hit on a lot of them, but you hope to hit on a couple or one of them in recent years. Can't have a miss like TJ Leaf, by the way, who's tearing it up in China. You got to make and capitalize off of these top picks, which they did with Duarte, seemingly. A lottery pick. He's having an excellent year. But that's why you don't want to focus on draft picks entirely. And what I was told a couple weeks ago was the crooks of the issue with the Pacers is owner Herb Simon, longest tenured owner in the league. What he really wanted more so was players, not draft picks. He wanted players, guys that could come in, pick them up, and carry them forward, whereas the front office preferred draft picks. Well, so far what we've seen, a nice combination of both, and I think more likely than not they'll probably add a couple more draft pieces. And that doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, that they will use those. That gives you ammo. That gives you assets. Maybe then you go up and trade a first-round pick, that Houston early second, and get an established rotation player or a starter. Those are the type of things, if you're the front office, you are trying to do when you're assessing your assets, trying to go younger here and and move this roster forward rather than just saying, eh, it's good enough. Here's why they're not done yet. They have several options. First of all, Ricky Rubio, I do not expect for him to even make a trip to Indiana. Right now he's in Spain. Now, he has communicated with Rick Carlisle via text a couple nights ago overnight because of the time difference. But he's just a month in from rehabbing an ACL injury that he suffered at the end of December. And you want to give a guy, give him his space, give that his full attention. He's in this final year of his deal. He's a little older, so he doesn't really fit the timeline, I think, of what the Pacers are doing here. For so long, though, they had coveted him. And going back to, what, 2019? It was about 99% done, a deal on the one-yard line about to get finalized. And then we saw Utah change things up because Nikola Mirotic decided not to go to Utah, but instead to go sign with Barcelona. So then they upped their offer to Boyan Bogdanovich. Pacers chose not to match. Herb Simon even saying, meeting with a handful of reporters a couple months ago, that they were all in. They were ready to and excited and hopeful uh, to bring Bogey back. Well, Utah threw a wrench into that, and then... Rubio. <laughs> Bucks calling around on that draft night of 2019, trying to move him in a sign and trade deal, and the Pacers were buyers. They had liked Brogdon since the draft, since he was a second round pick because of his injuries. And yeah, those injuries, uh, many of them have lingered here. Uh, different ones, but once a guy is injured, we see oftentimes his body not cooperate. It's what we're seeing with TJ Warren and Edmund Sumner. Doesn't take away from the guy or the player. But availability is huge, and that's something, by the way, I think this Pacers regime has to get away from is, at least in the short term, we need more availability. We need to see guys, and less you know, day-to-day, and it's weeks, not months for guys. I know you guys are exhausted of it. Think about us, who are in it every single day and considering guys' status. So with Rubio, that's an expiring contract. That has value to teams that want to create cap space. They'd create about $20 million. Other teams would if they took him on and gave Pacers assets, whether that's draft picks or rotation player, younger guy, or a combination of both. However, it is important to note you can't aggregate it, meaning you can't throw Rubio in with a couple other players or Rubio and a pick and this. It would have to be Rubio 
in a deal by himself. The Pacers could choose to move Buddy Heald. I don't think that's likely, but he is a little older than the current timeline. 29 has a couple more years after this under contract. It is a uh, contract that gets lower each year, starting at $23 million this year, and I think down to roughly $20 million in, in a couple years, which is helpful and friendly. And I tend to think not that they will move him before this trade deadline. And as I'm recording this, it's about 24 hours from now. I don't think that'll happen. Um, talked to Rick Carlisle last night um, on our post-game Zoom. He talked about how he's excited for Buddy Heal, how he's a baller, a three-point threat, and again, fits what they're trying to do there on the court. Now, Tristan Thompson's a different story. I haven't gotten a clear picture on him. I think they're trying to figure that out. I could see that going several different ways. He's 30. He's been in the league a decade. He's played limited minutes, you know, 15 per game. Uh, but much like the Kings, the Pacers have a backload of centers. And right now, the attention shouldn't be given to a guy in his final year of his contract that you're not going to resign, that's over 30. Instead, those minutes need to go to Miles Turner. They need to go to Goga Pataze. They need to go to Isaiah Jackson. And, and by the way, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, um, but the core right now, the Pacers, looking like Halliburton, Duarte, Jackson, even Turner, um, and probably healed uh, as part of that. But there's a lot of factors in that. Maybe moving in the offseason. We'll see. But Miles Turner right now is part of that, and he is thrilled. He's excited. And I'm curious to see what he'll look like. Uh, hopefully be a 15-point-per-game scores. He fits more into what Carlisle's trying to do with shooting, with space, with pace. A lot of different things that were limitations with this current Pacers roster, at least until this week. So Thompson, I could see also being a buyout candidate, although probably unlikely unless he's willing to give back significant money. I could see them choose to keep him, but I know it is kind of laughable to think about it. Thompson uh, coming back to the Midwest here, uh, whereas it seems like he'd be better fit um, being a clutch guy, um, being a more of a contributor to another team that's not looking towards the future. That's more focused on the present and trying to win, even if it's a smaller role there for Thompson. Another thing I want to hit on here is make no mistake about Rick Carlisle's influence. Yes, publicly, it's the front office. It's Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan, but Rick Carlisle's involved in everything. He has more influence from what I've seen and heard than any other head coach I've covered previously, going back to Jim O'Brien, Frank Vogel days more than a decade ago. There's no fine line like we heard Frank, like we heard Nate McMillan talk about between the front office and the coaching staff. Carlisle's involved in every single thing. That's all. What does this mean for Brogdon's future? Good question. I think it's unlikely that he plays here in the short term. I know they're saying him day to day, but I wouldn't be surprised if he remains out through All-Star break, which is another week here. Then they reassess, you know, his his Achilles. And quite honestly, there's no reason to rush him back. He should take his time because for the Pacers or for other teams moving forward, it's best that he gets healthy. What I do think is that he will not finish his contract here in Indy. Now, he's signed through, I think, 2024 after agreeing to an extension before the start of the season. I just don't see that happening. But reasonable contract, um, roughly the same as Buddy Heald, by the way, just over that $20 million per average for him. I don't think he's part of the future long term. 
Um, but so much hinges on that Achilles and him getting healthy and being able to contribute. I'd love to see him and Halliburton and maybe even Duarte. And maybe that's one, two, three, or maybe you bring a guy off the bench, maybe Duarte with Buddy. I don't know. There's a lot of things that the possibilities are fun to imagine because right now they're not in contending mode. Right now they're not even in playoff mode. Right now they're in reestablishing this group, reshaping the roster. And so guess what, fans? You now finally have some hope. That's what you have wanted. All right, a couple more things I do want to hit on here before wrapping up this podcast. And if you've made it this far, let me know on Twitter. And uh, thank you. Appreciate you hanging there in with me and being a loyal listener here to the Fieldhouse Files. First of all, Chris Duarte selected to the Rising Stars. Pacers, though, will not have anyone representing the team in the All-Star game. That had been Sabonis for two years, then Victor Oladipo, and Paul George for a couple of years. It's been since that, what, 2015 when Paul George was injured and the team was without him for all but six games since they haven't had a player in the All-Star game. But for more than a decade now consistently, they've had representation in All-Star weekend. Duarte is in the Rising Stars and newcomer Tyrese Halliburton also will participate in the Rising Stars Challenge. A week ago, the Pacers did something very interesting, and that was bringing in another new face in Reggie Perry. Uh, I think it was a Clippers draft pick originally, played with the Brooklyn Nets, though, Long Island Nets. Anyway, when Sabonis went into the protocols, missing all three games last week, Pacers were able to sign one player because of that, and they signed Reggie Perry And what going to end up looking like it's going to be just for one game because they would have to have one player into the protocols for him to be eligible again. Now, it doesn't mean he has to go away or be done. He still gets paid out for the full 10 days, by the way, which is important to anyone. Get their full paycheck. He's still traveling with the team, practicing at shoot-arounds. He is not eligible to play, though, unless the team has somebody and a player in protocols. They do have Ronald Nord in there. He's feeling great, ready to return. They're just waiting for his percentage, his cycle count to be above 30, which means, in short, basically how contagious are you waiting on that count? I expect him hopefully to be back Friday, but it's all dependent on a productive test with a count over 30. Uh, In the time since I've talked to you, Lance Stevenson, a player that joined the team on New Year's Day, I broke that news on New Year's Eve, well, he's staying with the franchise for the rest of the season. This is not a multi-year deal, which I kind of imagined that they would sign him to originally. No, it's just for the rest of the season. But I think there's also the recognition and understanding that Lance doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to finish his career here. He wants to retire here. He wants to get as much NBA basketball he can out of his career and do it right here in Indiana where he plays best, where fans love him, and it is a perfect marriage. So congrats to him earning it. He's getting over a million dollars because of it. That's significant money. Even for a guy who turned down a $45 million contract based on bad advice way back and uh, regrets that. But um, good for Lance, good for Pacers, great for fans and us media. It's a win-win for everybody. makes things exciting. And before this Halliburton move, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I believe he was their best option at point guard and should have started at point guard. But good for him there, and I still think it's possible for him to come back next season. Again, though, I think there will be several more changes, a half dozen other changes coming, and so those will factor in here. How about the emergence of Terry Taylor, an undrafted player, a guy that first was signed on a training camp deal, Exhibit 10, 
earned a two-way contract replacing Dejan Giroux. He's been fantastic, exceeded all expectations, and I could see him moving forward next season in kind of that third center or big guy role, kind of, even though it's a little hilarious because he's not a big guy. He's undersized. He's 6'5", but he outplays his size easily. And what, he's had a couple of 20 and 10 games, been productive, and been helpful right now when the Pacers are losing, need production, need contributors, and need something exciting. I wrote about him and his Mad Ants performance, and then right after that, he joins the Pacers and, and has helped them out. So that story is on FieldhouseFiles.com. I also wrote about Dwayne Washington, what he's been able to do. And this team is needed shooting, and boy, is he a streaky shooter, an excellent shooter at times, hitting three, four, five threes in games. And I could see him being part of this team's future. Uh, he's been really strong. And uh, it was funny last night, uh, Tuesday night in Atlanta, where that's basically a ske- not just a schedule loss, that's a roster loss. You have only eight players available, zero starters. Four of those players, I believe, are rookies. And so you just have three bench guys. Pacers basically are down 30, um, 20 most of the game. But nonetheless, valuable minutes for so many guys, getting good reps and everything there. A lot to like about those individual performances. And now they're starting, they'll start to get help. I think it's very possible that you see Halliburton, Buddy Heald, in Pacer uniforms Friday when the Pacers host the Cavs, which will be fun because Karis LeVert whose last performance in a Pacers uniform at Gainbridge Fieldhouse was his best performance. So he went out on top and making the most of his short term here with the Pacers. Just over a year coming here in a deal for Victor Oladipo. And Pacers have really been able to maximize what their return from Paul George. That is a story I'll write about once the trade deadline is over. It started with Sabonis and Oladipo and has turned into many other pieces on down the line here. But a lot of changes, and I don't think the Pacers are done just yet either. So stay tuned. More coverage at FieldhouseFiles.com. That's where I write daily. It goes right to your email, and you can get daily coverage for $5 a month, $50 a year, and that's where you're going to get your best Pacers coverage. So I invite you to join the community at FieldhouseFiles.com where you can leave notes in the comments. I reply to everything, and also all those emails, they're delivered, all the updates and news are delivered right to your email. So you don't have to follow on Twitter or chase after it. But I will tell you, if you are a follower or subscriber, by the way, you do want to check out the site because I will update stories after the fact. And the perfect example of that is after sending the full comments of what Rick Carlisle had to say about the deal with the Kings pregame. Well, then it, the deal was finalized, and the trade call with the league went through after the game, so he was able to talk more in depth about the trade in specifics. So I added those comments to the end of the story. It won't send another email, though. So you'll want to go to fieldhousefiles.com to see the full extent of those comments. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and I'm sure I'll have another one for you at the other side of the trade deadline. But so long to Karis LeVert. To Demonis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and I will give them their due on a future podcast because they deserve it. And uh, I also should note, I wouldn't be surprised if Torrey Craig gets moved. That's another player I've heard a lot about here at the trade deadline. Maybe he goes back to Phoenix where he finished the season last year. Makes no sense for him to be part of this group right now. More so a defender, a shooter on a contending team. That'll do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.